Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. My guest today is Jay Allred, the CEO of Source Media Properties, a nationally recognized local news organization serving nearly half a million readers in central Ohio in the United States. Jay is also the co-founder of Lead AI, an artificial intelligence startup developed inside the source media newsrooms that uses natural language generation to automatically generate sports content by converting data into news articles. He serves as a board member of Lion Publishers and was a 2022 Salzburger Fellow at the Columbia Journalism School. On today's episode, Jay highlights his team's journey building Lead AI, how his newsroom is carefully experimenting with generative AI, and discusses the future of the local news landscape. Hi, Jay. Welcome to Newsroom Robots podcast. I'm so excited to just get into all about local news and how you're using AI today. Oh, that, thank you, Nikita. I'm really grateful to be here, uh, represent the team and, and talk about talk about this really interesting and fast moving subject. It, it's moving at the speed of light right now. So slowing down for a few minutes to talk about it with a person like you is is great. Yeah, I remember being at your ONA panel last year, where you were talking about using AI and automation in the newsroom, along with USA Today. And I was really fascinated that a small local newsroom in Ohio was using AI to kind of produce stories. And that really 
caught my attention. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show to hear about how did somebody in Ohio, a newsroom in Ohio, that's not something that I really picture with like AI related. It's usually like the Bay Area or something in the East Coast, New York and Boston. And so I wanted to know how did that journey really start? And could you give us an overview really of your newsroom and how you started to lead AI? Sure. I think the thing to remember about Richland Source is that we really have built a very entrepreneurial culture over the last decade. And we have always been interested in emerging technologies. They don't always show up as part of the products that we produce or the the news report that we produce on a day-to-day basis, but we've always been interested in that. And I became interested in natural language AI at a South by Southwest that I attended, I think back in 2015 or 2016. I was in a session and I listened to a person whose name I can't remember from the AP talk about how they had automated earnings reports using structured data. And I thought, my gosh, first of all, it occurred to me that a person had to write those before. But then when I realized like, oh my gosh, an earnings report is the same for every company at scale. And yet it's interesting to the people that are interested in that company. And so when I learned that the AI, that the AP had done that, I thought, wow, that is what a great use of technology and how useful to audiences if it can be used in the right way. So that just kind of sat at the back of my mind for at least a year. And we work in a co-working space here in Mansfield, Ohio. And inside the co-working space was a person that would eventually become my co-founder, Evan Ryan. And Evan was running a small, nascent AI development company called Teammate AI. And it was a one-man show. And we were, as cliche as this sounds, we were standing around a water cooler and talking about artificial intelligence and our thoughts on it. And this was back in 2000, I think 2000, late 2017, early 2018. And we had, the source had a relationship with a company in California called ScoreStream. ScoreStream is an app that allows people and fans that are at high school sports games to update those scores live and in real time. And there's a data set that exists with this. And it's a data set that a person like myself or our company could license. And so we began thinking about what kind of a project could we work on together with no intention of this becoming a company or a service that anyone would want. But what is a project that we could work on together where we could learn more about natural language, think about it in the form of something practical that would be usable in a local newsroom and just kind of dive in, right? And start experimenting on something that no one was really thinking about. So what we decided that we would try to do was we would partner the three of us, ScoreStream, myself, the source and teammate AI and Evan's team. And we would, we would partner together to see if we could do this thing. We asked ourselves, what if we could cover every high school sports game in the state of Ohio accurately, automatically, and while our editors were sleeping. Could we do that? And that was the goal that we set for ourselves to try to figure out if we could pull that together. And we started work on it in May of 2018, and we published our first stories on the kickoff of high school football season in Ohio in August of 2018. So we did about 90 days worth of really hardcore development 
to try to get it to a prototype and published in May of 2018. And it was truly something where we were just experimenting. We wanted to see if we could do it. It worked, kind of. You know, the, the language wasn't what we wanted. The There were things about it that we wanted to be different and better. But we covered like 500 games that night across the state of Ohio. And we delivered results. And then we were stunned to realize people were reading them. <laughs> and so we we just said, okay, well, we have this prototype here. So, And then we just took off and we started to iterate on it, work on it. And we tested it for the entire year, for that school year. We just We just worked on it and tested it and tested it and tested it and tested it until I think April or May, the end of the school year of 2019, that's when we made it public that we had this thing. And if someone else would like to use it, we would sell them that service. So we, it was over the course of that testing that we thought maybe we have a product here that other people would want. So this is all based on natural language generation. So just for our listeners, can you take us behind the tech of it and like really how that's different from all of the generative AI buzz that's going about right now? Yeah, for sure. So lead AI is natural language generation, but it is not generative. The best quote on generative AI I ever heard thus far was a guest on the Gary, I'm sorry, the Ezra Klein podcast, where he said that ChatGPT is very confident and often wrong. And I thought to myself, can I think of a worse job description for a journalist than very confident and often wrong? <laughs> and so, I mean, is there anyone like, could there possibly be a worse description? And for that reason, we do not use generative in lead AI, what we're looking at is very reliable structured data that can be sorted and grouped by geography or sport or any number of other variables. And then that data gets analyzed and poured into human written templates that are based on that are chosen based on the analysis of how that game went. And so we're then wrapping language around reliable data and creating an output that's accurate and reliable and is journalistically sound and it's it's AP style. And so it meets the needs of that very particular customer, which is a local newsroom, but it doesn't include generative. We're testing generative. We're looking really hard at it for areas where it might have a benefit to newsrooms and how that could be used, but we have not, we still do not have the confidence in it yet that we could deploy it at scale and feel like we were going to be able to take care of our customers in that way because you just can't be wrong you know the the worst thing you can do is be is to have hallucinations at scale which is the danger right now with with gpt4 and gpt3 we think that there's a future there but we just don't think the future is now for this particular application and so if you could walk me through right now, how are these stories currently being generated? Is there any human input that goes into it or are they all like automatically published? It's the choice of the client or the newsroom that is working with us on this. The vast majority of our clients are on what we would call full automation, meaning that stories are published automatically and they go on the website automatically and it happens every night, you know, shortly after the games you know, are reliably over for a particular geography that they're covering. But there has been a human in the loop on it all the way through to the point of those stories publishing. And what I mean by that is our entire bank of story 
variables or the the different ways that you could write about a blowout or a close game or a tie. All of those have been written by AP award-winning sports writers and editors. Then they've been edited, and then they've been run through a second editing group that's looking at them for cultural relevance. Is this language that is relevant to the folks that are going to be reading it? Is there anything here that we don't like or that could be better? We're looking at every period, every space, every semicolon, every adjective, every verb. And so by the time that a story publishes on a website for a local newsroom, it's been through dozens of human looks. So we're very confident at that point that there's no reason why you would not publish it because the variables are team names, location, scores, but the way that the story is written is is as good as we know how to make it right now, given the data that we're working with. And I'd really love to hear more about you building that product in the initial stages of doing that. First of all, how did you specify or like get into sports specifically? And are you looking at like other areas to kind of broaden the coverage right now? And really what challenges were you facing while developing it for the first time as a newsroom? That's a great question. The thing about this is that I would love to tell you that we had had done dozens of user interviews and had gone through venture design thinking and had done proto. We had not done any of those things. <laughs> we did nothing of those things. What we thought was we had this hypothesis that we knew that we knew that small local audiences cared a lot about high school sports, particularly in the region that we were in, because we were we were solving a problem for ourselves. We knew that there were far more high school sporting events than we could possibly even begin to cover with people. And we had a very reliable, consistent, scaled data set in ScoreStream. It's nationwide. It has reliable data from coast to coast. There was good penetration. We were able to license that data and their founder was a great partner in helping us build the product and partnering with us to help build the product. And it fit a need that we had and our audience had, which was who won? We just wanted to answer the question, who won? And they, you know, in, in a general sense, how did they win? Did they come from behind? Was it a blowout? Was there a tie? Did they change the, you know, did the game go up and down? And that was it. The goals were very simple. And we just knew there were certain things that we knew about local news and high school sports. For example, we knew that 40% of high school sports subscriptions generally across the board, 40% of news subscriptions when measured by large companies and, and local newsrooms, if you're covering if you're covering high school sports, about 40% of your subscriptions come through that funnel. That's a big number. We knew that advertisers like to be next to high school sports. We knew that it was a specialized form of coverage, kind of like business reporting is or health reporting is. And not every local newsroom has that specialized reporting ability to even cover results. And we also knew that local newsrooms across the country had been decimated by staff cuts. And we knew that they couldn't cover the sports that they used to cover in the depth that they could. And so we looked at it like, well, if we can do the rudimentary part, tell people who won, it will open up space for high school sports reporters to interview athletes, talk to coaches, write profiles, and do the kinds of things that help them drive subscriptions and drive ad revenue. 
So, you know, we didn't really think about covering crime or, you know, the number, the most dangerous intersections, or we didn't look at any other data sets at that time because it just felt like this was a problem we knew that we could try to solve in 2018, having never done anything like this before. So it's just like, I mean, if you can imagine a group of enthusiastic amateurs who had no idea what we were doing and learned as we went, that's us. That's what we were. You know, we just, and so we picked the things that we thought that we could work on. And so when you started off not having done this ever before, what was like that biggest learning lesson that you took away from that entire experience building an AI product for your newsroom? I think the thing that we learned was you have to rely on people's unique abilities and let them do the thing that they're good at and trust that they're going to do the best job that they can. Evan was learning to code Python and learning to to write the code around this as he was going. So this became his experiment in how to write reliable code that plugged into an API that generated an asset and wrote a headline and SEO tagged it and you know did the things it needed to do to make it useful. But we had to sort of go, okay, well, we're going to let Evan and Teammate AI work on that. Our managing editor, Larry Phillips, who is an AP award-winning sports writer, and his team wrote all of the content. And we learned that when you're writing what turned out to be hundreds of variations on the way that games go, people have opinions about language as they might like, they have opinions about writing style. They have opinions about, and we had to constantly be checking in with readers or test groups to figure out what's the right, should we be writing this really straight up? Does it need to have a little bit of flair? How does it need to sound in order for it to be to be palatable to a reader. We didn't want it to sound like a robot, but we learned that we kind of over-indexed on making it sound, it almost sounded too human. Like there was a little too much poetry in there. We needed to back it up. And then on my part, where I did a lot of the things around customer acquisition, as we started to productize it, we just made so many mistakes. You know, we priced it wrong. We thought about pricing it. We thought about the way that people would use it incorrectly. We made assumptions that we shouldn't have made. And so we had to all, like there were a lot of times where we would try something and then we had to start over and try again. But it was, it was okay. Cause we sort of knew that we were doing this at a time when no one was really thinking about it. I mean, this was 2019 chat GPT was not a thing at the time. And So we just adopted a real experimental mentality with it. You know, it was a kind of a very humble experimental mentality. And we knew that we were going to screw a bunch of stuff up, but we were going to try to keep, try to keep making it better as we moved along and to try to keep learning as we went along. And we had a lot of great partners early on that tried the product or tested the product and gave us feedback on it. And they were really instrumental to it. I want to shift focus a bit onto the whole generative AI buzz and source media specifically. Can you talk us through the source media properties and like how many newsrooms and what you cover? How are you approaching generative AI in your newsroom now? So source media properties is just basically a an umbrella for what we're we're more well known for our flagship property, Richland Source, which is about a decade old. We're a pure play digital local news site that has done some innovative and interesting things here in the middle of Ohio. And along with Richland Source, we have two other sites that cover neighboring counties, ashlandsource.com and knoxpages.com. They're all part of a family. We cover a 
three of Ohio's 88 counties and about a quarter of a million people in total. And obviously, we've been using natural language AI here at The Source since 2000. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 19, but with generative, when that hit, when ChatGPT was launched, I think in November of last year, it altered the whole landscape of the way that our industry thinks about it, how much it gets talked about. And so what we're doing here, the way that we're thinking about AI is we tried to very early on pull together team, a small team of people that were interested in the technology here at the source. And we're just adopting a very test, learn and report methodology around this for, so this is a team of about a half a dozen people. They come from all different sides of the business and um, they meet relatively frequently. There's a Slack channel that we communicate in. And what we're doing with this is we agreed together that from the group came to this agreement together. I didn't want this to be a top-down thing that came from me. The group agreed that the best way to do this was we would use it to try to solve a problem and then report back on the results. So, for example, our graphic artist made her hypothesis or her question she might ask is, I use DALI to try to help me generate representative proofs for clients, and I got this result from it. And we're trying to ask good questions and think about problems that we can solve with it. And then key to this is to report out those results to the rest of the team so that we build some momentum around both usage of the tools as they develop, but also monitoring and some healthy skepticism. Like, do they work? Is it solving a problem for me? This is where our experience with lead AI, I think, has been helpful because this is not new to us. We've been comfortable with natural language generation. So when when generative came out, I'm comfortable with those testing methodologies with it. And, and I think that our team generally is too. We've adopted those and we're using it now. In editorial, I've seen it used to help rewrite a lead to make a lead more interesting or to to give me three variations on this lead. I've seen editors have it help them work up a headline if they're stuck on something. Our marketing department is using it extensively to write variations of social copy. So when we're writing social posts for Facebook or we're helping a client with web copy, it's very useful there. We've used it to help write press releases for employee promotions 
or when we're helping a small business communicate something to its clients through our branding studio, it helps solve the problem of the blank page. But we're just experimenting and reporting back. That's the method that we're using. And it seems to work. And how big is your newsroom size right now? And like, how is everyone using these ChatGPT and these generative AI tools? So our company is around 20 full-time employees overall, right? That flexes and varies a little bit. About 50% of our company is on the news side, so the reporting side of the business. And then the other 50% roughly is works on our business team. When we thought about implementing generative, one of the things I absolutely did not want to do was force people to use it that were not comfortable. People exist on a spectrum of comfort with this kind of technology. And it was really important to me and to everybody on the team that we were not making people do something that they weren't comfortable with or weren't curious about, which is why we, we formed this small team. These are all folks that are early adopter type personalities. They're all interested in the tech and they're all willing to experiment with it. And they've all committed to reporting back to their colleagues about, hey, I was worried about this. I tried it to solve this problem. I got these results and I either think the results are really good and I want to show you how to do it or I wasn't happy with the results. And my recommendation is that we either keep working on it or we abandon it for now because I don't think the tech is reliable in this context. So no, not everyone in the newsroom is using it. We've got some skeptics in the newsroom around it, actually. And that's okay. Like They're absolutely part of the adoption process and the inquiry process. We need those folks in our life to make sure that we're not accepting the technology too quickly. And talking about guardrails, so the people who are using it in your newsroom, how are you communicating the risks of generative AI to them? And kind of like what guidelines have you set in place for your newsroom? So this is a very developing thing for us. We have not settled on hard and fast guidelines yet. We know that places like the Associated Press and the Society of Professional Journalism, we know that these organizations are working on this. The Partnership for AI uh, is working on this. I'm full disclosure, I'm on one of their steering committees, but we're working on these kinds of things. So what we're doing to answer your question is first and foremost, when we use AI of any kind, including lead AI for sports scores, we're transparent with our audience about it. So if we generate representative art, we're going to tell our audience that this was generated with a tool called DALI, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If we use generative or other AI tools to write something that we're reporting out or to help us research, we're, we're indexing on transparency rather than the opposite. I think first and foremost, that's what we're doing. When we think about the guardrails for usage inside of the newsroom, what we're doing is less about guardrails right now and more about communicating with one another. We're asking each other questions. We're we're talking through it as a team. The small cross-functional team is, is thinking about these sorts of applications and paying attention to both the concerns that they have and the ways that they think that they're finding around those concerns or through those concerns into, a, into an acceptable place. There are big questions to ask about this though, right? For example, AI transcription tools have been around for at least a half a dozen years and folks use them all the time. 
we never disclosed that we used an AI transcription tool to take a recording and turn it into a transcript. We simply go through the process of verifying that the quote that the transcription tool wrote out is actually what the person said. We don't tell our audience that we did that. We just do that because it's the right thing to do. And so I think this we're in this moment, local newsrooms are in this moment where they're really thinking about deployment and how AI is going to be deployed. And I think that is the central question that the whole industry has to answer for right now. I think that is the thing that I think that I worry the most about. It's the thing I think about the most as a participant in the industry. It's the thing that we work on the hardest with lead AI is to really be thinking about how is this tool going to be deployed and how can it make the lives of local newsrooms better and and enhance their ability to reach audiences that they want. And I think that it's just, it's really the thing that we have to think about the most. And the skeptics in your newsroom, I mean, it's really important to give battle voice as well to understand here are their perspectives. And so I want to know more about what questions and concerns are they really raising about these tools and how are you addressing that? I think some of the, we have seen through the experimentation that chat GPT and other generative tools just make stuff up sometimes. And so they have very real, I think all of us have very real concerns about, okay, well, how much of this data can we actually trust? And is it, we've had folks who've asked, is it even worth using this tool if I have to check everything that it says is correct? Like I have to, if I've got to fact check the whole thing, like what's the point? And I think it's a very real, it's a very real criticism, right? We've had concerns about for generative imagery, when you think about building representational imagery, you have to ask yourself sort of the question of saying, well, would I have paid a human artist to make this piece of representational art that I'm going to use in this enterprise story? Or would I have used terrible stock art? And what we are looking to try to thread the needle with is that if we would have paid a human to do it otherwise, that we would continue to pay a human to do it. But if the choice was between terrible stock art and pretty good representative art built by Dali, we're leaning toward, well, let's go with pretty good representative art anyway, because no human artist lost here. But those questions come up because we have, we actually have, we have a graphic artist on staff full time. And she notably has has raised questions about, well, this is not that good. I could do this better. And she's right. And so the, the idea here is, again, you go back to that question of deployment, right? And the ethics that you bring to the deployment of the tool. Is it helping this artist produce very fast, let's say client focus proofs to show a client four different ways that the art could be represented? And the client picks one and then the artist produces the actual content. Does it speed her work and does it make it easier on the, on the newsroom side? If you're writing a story about midwives and you say, okay, show me five variants of oil painting, five pregnant women in a room, soft lighting, talking to one another. And it shows you five different variants of that. Can you get to the one that you want the most? And then can your artist make the final version of that? It's about the ethics of the deployment. And I think that 
we're working really hard to try to navigate that in a way that at the end of the day lifts the newsroom up and creates more resources so that they can do better, more impactful work. That's what we're all about. And that's the way that we're trying to deploy it and manage through those very real, though, very thorny questions that you have to manage your way through. And another thorny question that's really circulating is about the privacy risk with all of these AI models. And so how are you looking about, how concerned are you about the privacy aspect when using all of these tools? Okay. I think there's two contexts for this, at least in our business. On the creative end, when we're working with clients on the marketing side, not very much because we're sort of building things out of thin air. You know, write me social copy for this, you know, hamburger stand to help them sell more hamburgers. This is generative is really good at that. It's very helpful. I think in the newsroom context, things get a lot more different, a lot different and a lot more consequential and the stakes are higher. I think they, in our case, I think we're not pouring in a lot of personal information into generative models, even when we're looking for help on writing headlines or whatever. And we're balancing that with the very real, with the stark reality that most of us have given up astonishing amounts of privacy in exchange for miraculous improvements in convenience. And we're doing it right now as we record this podcast. I am, I am on an application on the internet and I am talking into a microphone, which you are recording. And I don't know where this recording goes at the end of the day. <laughs> so I think it, it's, it's this balance point between, between being realistic about how much privacy that we give up in order to gain convenience, but also being super vigilant about things that, you know, we don't do a lot of confidential sourcing or blockbuster investigations. But if I'm an investigative reporter at the New York Times, this is a big deal for me. This is a huge question. If I work for Politico or if I work for you know an investigative team, this is a big deal. And it's not a thing that we're thinking about a ton, but it's a thing that I'm sure journalists are absolutely and should be thinking about. This has been such a fascinating conversation. And I kind of want to bring things together and see like back in 2018, you stepped into this world of AI and now with generative AI all coming into it, there's a lot of promise really for local newsrooms and you've been part of that journey for local media in the country. And I want to get your insights into where do you see really the future of local journalism for newsrooms like yourself covering like rural areas in Ohio? How are we going to be evolving now with the use and with the opportunities that generative AI is bringing along? So I think that I'll answer that question as simply as I can. I think that the potential upsides far outweigh the potential downsides if the way that this tool is deployed is with great intentionality around creating a tool for a newsroom to be able to do more than it could before. And to create a tool that a newsroom is able to provide more value to its audience that it, than it could before. This is where I, when I said the real question is about deployment, this is what I mean. I think we're at this nexus or at this crossroads where the industry now has access to an incredibly powerful tool that it has choices about what it's going to do with that tool. And if you go back to 2008 and 2009, when the social media platforms were ascendant and the news industry decided that they would just give away all of their content to the social media platforms as these third-party intermediaries 
and they would benefit from all of the traffic that would come from those third parties. I think AI represents an opportunity for us to get closer to our users, to claw back market share and value that we have given away over the last decade, decade and a half, because the industry at large has had to cut so many people in order to try to turn itself into a digital industry. And in doing so, it's given away obituaries, marriage announcements, the kinds of information that is not journalism, but that is important to a community. I think AI has the opportunity to put a lot of that information back in a news organization, in the pages of a newspaper, or more realistically, in the pages of an online news organization like ourselves. And if it's deployed in that way, the future is really hopeful. And that's what I, I think that's where we have the most opportunities. We just have to think about now is the time for us to not rush blindly into generative AI, you know, just sort of rushing into the embrace of Sam Altman and the good people at OpenAI. I think we need to be really thoughtful about the way that we want to deploy this technology, because if we're not, and we don't control our own future, our future will be decided by other people for us. And I think we're at a nexus right now when we get, we have a lot of influence over the way the tool is going to be used. And I think that the upsides are higher for sure, but my optimism and my hope is not without a generous, a generous leavening, right? (laughs) I mean, where there's, there's definitely, you know, it's not, it's not blind hope and optimism for sure. I think it's good, but we really have to be concerned about deployment and think a lot, a lot about it and act ethically and accordingly. There's a lot of big questions to be asking, but it's really exciting that the future that could be possible for local newsrooms and bringing back information that had to be cut for people. So that's a really exciting future you're painting for us about local news and the future of journalism that we could be all a part of with generative AI. So Yeah, thank you so much for uh, being on Newsroom Robots, Dre. This has been really exciting. I love talking local news and the work that you're doing has been really great to hear all about. Well, thanks, Nikita. I am just really honored to have been asked to come on. And this has been a great conversation for me, too. And I have enjoyed the show. and, And thank you very much for doing this because these conversations need to be had. And now that they're being had in public, that means more people can have access to them and they can find the folks that are on the podcasts and reach out to talk to them more if they want to, which is great. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thank you so much for being here. That was Jay Allred, the CEO of Source Media Properties and the co-founder of Lead AI. If you like what you hear on the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.